The COVID-19 pandemic created a complex and confusing labor market on a national scale, and the agriculture sector is feeling the strain, both literally and figuratively. Combating employee burnout has become critical to the bottom line of the business, and something that isn't easily done given the generational diversity seen in the modern workforce. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us today. Our sponsor for this episode is Tom Biggs Norsven, the second largest swine genetics company in the world. The TN70 is the flagship parent sow of Topics Norsven, described as being a self-reliant sow capable of raising her own pigs and requiring less human intervention in the farrowing house. When challenged with finding qualified employees, hire the TN70. Visit tn70.topicsnorsven.com to see what producers are saying about their experience with the TN70. Now, much of the current labor challenge and much of the reporting on the subject is centered on simply finding enough people to get the job done. The proverbial and literal help wanted sign seemingly out in front of every business this day. One of the bigger issues, though, stems from current employees in the business facing the very real issue of burnout. With fewer people to get the job done, coupled with persistent stressors at home and in the workplace, many workers are quite simply at their wit's end. And it doesn't matter if you're in a manufacturing role, live production role, perhaps an office-based or even home-based role, the signs of stress are very real and present a big challenge to leaders throughout the organization. What can managers and business owners do to help support their employees and help them achieve the seemingly mythical work-life balance? Well, to answer those questions, we turn to business consultant Melissa Furman, the former assistant dean and current faculty member at the James M. Hall College of Business at Augusta University in Augusta, Georgia. Dr. Furman, in addition to her consulting work and training in a variety of businesses across industries, has a background in academic research consisting of issues in generational diversity, unconscious bias, career and leadership development, emotional intelligence, and assisting technical professionals transition into management roles. Dr. Furman, it's been an interesting time to be in management of people, given all of the challenges that COVID has brought to the industry uh, and to a variety of industries. It certainly is not anything that is specific or endemic to agriculture. When you're talking with clients about some of those challenges and, and the stresses, the added challenges of the past two years, how significant uh, is this problem of of burnout and keeping our our colleagues and employees engaged in the business? It's a major problem um, that organizational leaders need to be thinking about immediately because unfortunately with burnout, it's not something that can easily be fixed. And it actually takes a long time for employees and even just individuals, you as the leader to overcome some of the challenges that you have as a result of you being burned out. Let's pause for a second, and maybe I should have asked this question first, just to set the stage a little better. What what is burnout? It's one of those terms I've used it. I know colleagues have have used it. We talk about it. You as a a, a professional in the industry who researches and and studies and has some academic underpinning in this area, uh, what is it? What are we talking about when we throw this buzzword out there? Is it just a buzzword or, or is this a thing, a real thing? It's actually a real thing. Um, And the World Health Organization has actually created a definition that they use. 
and they actually use this to diagnose people who may be experiencing the symptoms. And they define it as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. Now, that's a very academic definition, so let me break it down for you from my perspective. Um, now, the World Health Organization does frame it in the context of the workplace, but based on what we've been experiencing over the last two years, I, Dr. Melissa Furman, and I'm going to take the liberty to extend it beyond the workplace parameters. And so basically, I define it as prolonged or chronic stress, um, having prolonged time of, of high levels of stress that may be demonstrating um, exhaustion, cynicism, or feelings of reduced ability. So just, just all of us walking around having this heightened level of stress for a prolonged period of time is basically the, the basic definition of burnout. Is burnout, and, and maybe I want to take this pre-COVID because I feel like COVID has uh, added uh, an externality to this discussion that deserves its own conversation that we'll come to in a moment. But, but, but pre-COVID, when you were describing managing and overcoming burnout, is this something everyone goes through at, at some stage? Is it just sort of a natural stage in life? Or, or do we find that, no, this really is something that's brought on by a certain series of, of factors or, or stresses or experiences? Uh, is it a natural occurrence and cycle that everybody goes through or, or is it really dependent on those uh, situations we find ourselves in? Yeah. And I get that question a lot. People say to me, well, what's the difference of me just being really stressed versus me being burned out? And it, it's kind of chicken or the egg, right? It's, it's having that prolonged exposure to that high level of stress over a long period of time is what actually leads to that burnout. And prior to the pandemic beginning, we were actually seeing extreme high levels of burnout in the Gen X generation, which is individuals between roughly 41 and let's say 55-ish, um, because that generation specifically tends to be have a really strong high work ethic and they tend to be workaholics. They're that sandwich generation where they're both trying to manage the stress of, of having children and all the responsibilities that come with that, but also managing the stress and all the responsibilities that comes with having aging parents. So on top of their extreme work ethic, workaholic mentality, on top of their personal responsibilities, they were demonstrating very high levels of burnout before the pandemic even began. But now that the pandemic has been here, if you're a human being with a heartbeat, you're exhibiting some level, some signs of burnout regardless, because we've all been exposed to this prolonged high level of stress for over two years now. And, and I, think it's, I'm, I think it's important that you set that stage that we were already seeing a high level of burnout pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID adds these additional stressors, uh, and we don't necessarily need to recapitulate all those. Certainly, we've all lived through them for the past, past two years. <laughs> yes, please, let's not. Uh, but the the question I have is as I read stories in uh, in the in the trade press and the business news, uh, this discussion of the great resignation or the great reshuffling. I saw it written this week. I thought it was a good way of describing it. And employees, it, it feels like, are flexing their muscles, so to speak, in a way that they haven't traditionally um, to to get whether it's flexible work environments or or more family life balance and and so on. How would how do you advise when you're dealing with consulting clients or you're speaking to to businesses and industries? 
how, how do you advise they deal with this situation? And is a lot of the, what we're seeing now, the, the reaction, um, the, the behavior of these stressed individuals because of that underlying burnout that was already there and, and we finally just reached the, the tipping point? There's two sides of it, right? There's, there's things that you could tell, you could say to individuals who are experiencing burnout and helping them individually overcome it. But, but I'll start with tell, uh, sharing with you what I tell the organizations, what I'm telling the managers and the leaders. So there's some very typical common causes of this professional burnout that we're seeing. And the managers and the organizational leaders need to recognize this. So things like unreasonable time pressure, things like lack of communication and support. And, and what we've been experiencing over the last two years, the biggest piece of feedback that we've heard from employees is either they didn't know what was going on and their leadership could have communicated better or they don't know the status. When are we going back? Are we not going back? What are the safety protocols? And so not having that high level of communication contributed to their burnout. And then also, I mean, the end of the day, the simplest thing that organizations need to focus on when helping their employees overcoming burnout is supporting and caring for them. They just need to take a step back and recognize they are human beings. They have been through a lot. Everybody's kind of right at that tipping point and just showing genuine care and concern. And for some organizations, they have a hard time doing that, um, whether that's their culture doesn't reinforce that mindset or it's just not the personality or behavioral style of their leadership to be really good at showing genuine care and concern. And this is important, right? Because people, when they think about how to care, show care and concern for their employees, they first start with thinking about how they want to be cared about and how what could be done to make them feel like they're cared about or someone's concerned about them and it's not about them. So each individual within your workplace has a different what I call care language, right? So if you're familiar with the five love languages book that people tend to give love the way they want love received and it's it's through things like telling them that you love them or acts of service doing things to show them that you love them or gifts buying them things. It's very similar in the workplace. You need to figure out how your employees want to be cared about and then make an effort to demonstrate and show to them that you care. Because what I'm finding is some organizations and leaders genuinely do care, but they're not great at showing it or they're not great at communicating it. Or like I just said, they, they show it in a way that they would want to receive it, which is not the way that their employees want to be cared about. And we're seeing that Across the generations, um, different generations want different things. They, they care about different things. And so the, the leaders really need to be dialed in and, and assessing what do their employees need, why do they need it, and, and how do they need it so they can tailor it and customize it for each of their employees. I'm putting myself in the boots of somebody listening to this and thinking like a, a manager, an owner, a, a leader in an organization. And when I hear you using words like love and care, <laughs> you know, if, and particularly if I'm thinking about some of the generational differences you discussed earlier, we're going to spend some more time talking about generational differences, but, but I'm just picturing some friends listening to this podcast saying, what are you talking about, doc? That's like right. this idea of love and care in the workplace, that's a bit too warm and fuzzy and maybe a little hippy dippy for me. So let's talk about that a little more. Cause I, I believe that's really important that people feel appreciated or they, they feel cared for whatever terms you want to use. Um, if people aren't feeling like they 
belong on the team or whatnot, they're more likely to be looking elsewhere or not doing the work while they're there. Right. So, so maybe help for friends who might, <laughs> who might have been a little skeptical about the language, understand, Hey, there's some economic yep. benefit too. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's funny. I, I like to quote the movie um, from a league of their own where there's no crying in baseball, right? Check the emotions at the door that that is a very common mindset of the older generations. Whereas the younger folks, they really care about that. And that's important to them. They want to make sure that you view them as an individual and that you are making an effort to make them feel included and make them feel like they belong within your organization. So let me give you, let me give you some very specific tangible things for our folks who have a hard time with some of the soft and fuzzy. Things like just providing role clarity. Um, right now there's people in organizations who've, who've been doing the job of three people for a long time or with the pandemic, their roles have changed and there's still a lot of uncertainty. So just by being able to communicate to them role clarity, um, communicating to them that, that you appreciate them, that they are valued, just saying simple thank you for your effort and your time. Um, and speaking of time, right now, a lot of people just need time off. Now, the workaholics are having a hard time taking off, and, and they're concerned that if they take off, oh my gosh, how is work going to get done? Is there somebody who's going to replace my job? Or I just simply can't, right? The animals need to be fed. Um, this needs to be done. I just can't take off. Well, research is showing that this is pre-pandemic. On average, it takes people nine consecutive days of taking off for them to genuinely recharge and be able to come back to the workplace recharged. Now, leaders are like, whoa, don't be telling this to my people, right? Nine days, there's no way, like we can't do that. And even the employees are like, oh my gosh, can you imagine the amount of email that's gonna pile up in those nine days? Well, here's what's, what, if you think about the nine days, let's, let's talk about the employee. They take those nine days off. They take, it takes the first two or three days for them to unwind. Then they actually have two or three days to kind of decompress and, and not be thinking about work. And then two to three days leading up to it, they start winding up again, getting nervous and panicked about going back to work. Um, and that, but here's the other thing about the nine days. If somebody emailed you at the beginning of the nine days, here's what I tell you. When you come back from the nine days, you just delete them. Because if they haven't figured it out in the last nine days, it's not important anymore. Or if it is really important, they're going to follow back up with you when they see that you're coming back in those nine days. And then you can engage in their questions. But people have this immediate like panic. Oh, my gosh, the world's going to stop turning. And the organization's their people are only performing probably right now at a 20, 30% capacity anyway. So do you wanna continue with that 20 to 30% capacity and just exhaust them and burn them out to zero where then they quit on the spot and then you don't have anybody in that role for a long period of time? Or do you wanna give them those nine, 10, 11 days to recharge where you're only missing that person for nine or 10, 11 days. And then when they come back, they're coming back at possibly 80, 90% it's the return on investment, right? And so things like giving them time off, reinforcing the purpose that your organizations have. So when I do these talks face-to-face, -face, I make every single person in, in the room think and state to me what their purpose is, what value does their organization have to society or, or what they're doing to, to really figure out that purpose. And even the organizational leaders, they may not have the right people in the right roles because of the change that we've experienced over the last few years. 
people have, like I said, they don't have that sense of role clarity and maybe the role that they, they served in before the pandemic really isn't appropriate for them anymore based on how things have changed and evolved. So you may need to look at is there a better role for them within the organization based at, at where they're at? Do they need additional training to continue to be successful in their role? So there's a lot of little things that the leaders can be doing um, to, to help their people feel appreciated, to ask them what they need and create some structure and um, boundaries around what can be done within the organization to get them in a role where they're not feeling so burned out. You just use the word boundaries, and I, and I want to talk about that a little more because I think it's interesting, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm uh, on maybe the tail end of that Gen X generation you were you were talking about. I, I won't claim to be a millennial, but I'm in that maybe that weird <laughs> spot in between. Cusper, those you're a cusper between yeah, the two. Yeah, and, and I, I find it interesting. So I have that tendency to work all the time, like you're talking, and especially as so many of us work from home now, work you're never really without work. The digital leash is always in your pocket and so on. And so I'm thinking about that challenge of setting boundaries. So yeah. how, how do we as, as employers, as business leaders, as managers, think about helping our employees or, or modeling good behavior in that regard mm -hmm. of setting boundaries? People talk about the work-life balance all the time. I, I don't know if uh, anybody really does a very good job of of painting a picture of what that really means, this, this yeah, mythical yeah. work-life balance we're all, yeah. we're all shooting for. Uh, what, what is your research shown there talking with customers on how we as businesses help our employees kind of set those boundaries and, and abide by them? And what's funny is the Gen Xers have been searching for work-life balance for years now, and, and I've yet to find one who's found it. <laughs> and um, Gen Y, which is the millennials, which are between 25 and 40-ish, uh, they actually aren't striving for work-life balance. They have a mindset more of work-life integration. And they tend to work to live. So they go to work to get a paycheck to go live their life when they get off of work versus Gen X who live to work. So we don't ever stop working. And this is important when it comes down to boundaries, because you have two very different mindsets that keep clashing with one another. And this is where people have had a really hard time over the last two years, because they can't seem to separate the two. And we now have our technology where you're answering every single email when it comes in, you're answering every text message, you're thinking about it. And some people don't even have that commute to work anymore to kind of separate the two and decompress. And so here are some of my recommendations. I tell organizational leaders to model good behavior, uh, healthy behavior, if you will. Don't send emails after work hours. Um, don't send emails on weekends. And they said, well, but, but I was traveling all week or, or I got behind. And so Sunday afternoon, I have nothing going on. So I want to go ahead and get caught up. Okay, that's great for you, but you're sending the message to your people that you're working on a Sunday afternoon and therefore you may be expecting them. So here are some things you can do. Number one, you can reply to your emails and you can put them in your draft box and schedule them to go out on Monday. Now, research shows that Monday morning email is some of the heaviest email traffic of any other time during the week. And so what I coach my, my folks to do is um, if it's not critically urgent, program or schedule that email to not go out until Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning. If you do have to send an email 
for whatever reason and you can't schedule it and you can't program it, you can maybe say at the beginning of the email, um, hello, so-and-so, I hope you're having a great weekend and you're not reading this email till you get back to the office next week. You know, I'm just catching up from being out next week. So you're giving them permission to not reply until they return back. And at the end of the day, people need to be accountable for their own behavior and they just need to turn it off and not reply to those emails that they get at, at night or on weekends. And the leadership really needs to model that behavior and show them that it's okay to wait to respond. If it's something critical that absolutely has to be attended to right away, don't do it via email. You should be calling the person anyway. And even with text messaging, I wouldn't text, I'd call them. So you can call talk through the immediate issue, resolve it right there on the spot or delegate as needed and move on rather than this person being inundated by these text messages. And a text message could take twice as long going back and forth than it would be just to pick up the phone and have the conversation and take care of it right away. So the boundaries are definitely important to set them and then also to reinforce them and, and stand by them. The interesting thing about that conversation, and I'm, I'm with you wholeheartedly uh, as, as somebody who works with colleagues across time zones and literally around the world, it can be challenging. Sometimes you get a, an email in at oh dark 30 because the other person's on the other side of the ocean and you feel that stress response to, oh God, I've got to deal with this immediately kind of, kind of thing. That's part of those stressors we were talking about going back to the, the topic of burnout. But one of the challenges I'm, I'm envisioning is you're talking about, hey, pick up the phone and call somebody rather than emailing or, or texting. It's going back to the generational differences between uh, the, the handful of, of boomers who are still there in, in upper management roles, the Gen Xers who are maybe the, the, char, the, the main thrust of that uh, management leadership. The cadre that we're talking about, the Gen Yers who are who are now occupying a lot of those mm -hmm. um, uh, upwardly mobile management type roles and frontline roles and so on. The Gen Yers, my impression is, really don't want you to call them. I right? like That's the discussion right. you see the social media memes <laughs> of you know preferred forms of communication, and it's like uh, you know email, then text, then carrier pigeon, then you know telegram, then phone call. So how do we? How do we manage that going back to your concept of, of kind of the love languages and trying to meet people where they are? How do we balance some of these? Some of these issues seem to be competing and contradictory, right? Like we want mm -hmm. to care about our employees and, you know, kind of treat them the way they want to be treated, which would mean not calling and yet at the same time, <laughs> mm -hmm. it might be better to pick up the phone and call than to have a 25 minute text exchange or 50 emails when a five minute phone call would suffice. So it, does the Gen Y group need to, to give at the same time, the Gen X and boomer side also need to give, like, how do we harmonize some of these generational differences, I guess, is what I'm asking in a roundabout yeah. way. Yeah. And so if you ever um, hear me speak about generational diversities, my MO and, and where I'm a little bit different than the other generational speakers out there is I actually encourage people to not generalize, to not compartmentalize, because we're actually seeing, people see certain behaviors and they automatically attribute it to the generation. So there's this blanket statement, right, about millennials and blanket statement about Gen X, when really at the end of the day, what you're witnessing, that behavior that you're seeing is a difference in professional and emotional maturity. And so in the context of the question you just asked, when individuals were younger, um, 
maybe not as as professionally mature or emotionally as mature they they prefer the text messages but i think as people start evolving into a higher level of professional and emotional maturity they recognize and appreciate that efficiency is important and so as they get more mature and they have less time and they have more responsibilities. They recognize efficiency is important. So you may actually find some folks in that millennial generation who've matured to this level where they recognize that the phone call is the better way to go. But what you need to do is you need to not make assumptions. Within your organization, you all need to be communicating with one another very openly about preferred communication styles. And it also starts at senior leadership of kind of setting the tone of what's important within your organization and, and how you're all going to communicate that. So kind of setting the protocol, if you will, that, hey, we're going to be respectful. We're not going to send emails after a certain time. And as a matter of fact, we're only going to use email when multiple people need to be communicated at one time. And email is more efficient than a face-to-face -face team huddle, right? Or virtual, get everybody in a meeting. Because the older folks love meetings, right? Younger folks don't like the meetings. But you need to assess like, what is the best mode of communication for what we're trying to accomplish and define that up front and communicate that up front. So it's like, hey, when we're having a crisis or something needs to be handled, I'm gonna call you right away. Maybe call it like a level one crisis. Level two crisis may be, this is really important. So I'm going to send you a text message that says, hey, we need to talk within the next few hours. Give me a call when you have a free moment. So you send the message via text, call me when you have a free moment, which people will respect, right? They'll be like, well, let me finish giving my kid a bath. And then when I'm done, I'll give you a call. Level three crisis or concern, um, simply send me a, an email and say, okay, I need you to get back to me within two business days. You know, so you just need to kind of set those levels and set those protocols and then follow them. That way everybody understands the level of urgency to the communication and the context and how quickly they need to respond. Because even if you send an email, let's say on a Saturday and it's not important, they will, they, good chance they looked at it and then they're thinking about it all weekend or it's like draining on them. And then they're trying to not, and they're like, you know, let me just reply back just so it's not on my mind all weekend. And so I can go into Monday feeling more refreshed. Well, that doesn't happen. So the leadership really needs to upfront, define and communicate and reinforce and model the different levels, regardless of what generation people are in. And, and every organization is gonna be different. Everybody, different industries, different products, different services, different customers, clients. You need to assess it up front and set the protocol. Thanks to Dr. Melissa Furman for her insights into a complex issue of major importance to the industry. You can learn more about her work and her research at her website. We'll link to that in the show notes of this episode. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus was sponsored by Topics Norsven, the second largest swine genetics company in the world. The TN70 is the flagship parent sow of Topics Norsven, described as being a self-reliant sow capable of raising her own pigs and requiring less human intervention in the farrowing house. When challenged with finding qualified employees, hire the TN70. Visit tn70.topicsnorsven.com to see what producers are saying about their experience with the TN70. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs In Focus. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts. 
Also, join us weekday afternoons, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 2 Eastern, 1 Central for Feedstuffs 365, our live stream platform where we talk about a variety of issues from technical issues of animal nutrition and health on through to markets, the outlook, what's happening for your favorite animal proteins and feed ingredients. We'll also be talking about the day's latest headlines, policy, news, business, all of that and more at Feedstuffs 365. We're streaming live weekday afternoons, Tuesday through Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 Central at feedstuffs365.com. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.